This is Dr. Guy. And this is Dr. John. Two brothers from other mothers. Welcome to Diseases, Death, and Doctors. If it's your first time, we'd like to welcome you to The Pod, a storytelling podcast that discusses the non-chronological history of medicine, because it's easier that way. And today, we are going to discuss Yellow Fever and Napoleon's epic fail. Napoleon Dynamite? The Napoleon. Oh, the original, the OG Napoleon. Yes, that guy, the the short dude from France. Yeah, I honestly, um, I'll be honest, I do not remember what causes yellow fever. Oh, well, good. I'm going to scold you a little bit today. I think I'm vaccinated for it. Did I get vaccinated for yellow fever? I think if you've traveled anywhere exciting, you probably have been. Okay. It is not uh, a required vaccine in the US of A, but anywhere... Uh, if you've traveled anywhere that you get to put a notch on your belt, then then you get vaccinated for it. Don't know what that means, but yep, sounds good. <laughs> well, let's go for it then. Let's kick the tires and light the fires, big boy. <laughs> Le- learn us something good. All right. So epidemics have always been pivotal in the history of the world, but there is no greater example of a pandemic's ability to alter the geopolitical landscape than that of the impact of yellow fever during the late 18th and early 19th century. In fact, Dr. John, it was yellow fever, not Waterloo, that would hand Napoleon his most lopsided military defeat. Hashtag ever. Now, before we delve into uh, another legendary tale, let's uh, first discuss the nuts and bolts of yellow fever. So yellow fever is an RNA virus. Think COVID-19 for those of you who uh, only started paying attention to medicine or science for that matter, circa 2020. And it's spread by the bite of a female mosquito, most commonly the Aedes aegypti, a type of mosquito that is found primarily in the tropics or subtropics, i.e. Africa, South Central America. Um, the disease originated in Africa and then traveled to the South, uh, to the Americas with the slave trade in the 17th century. So symptoms of yellow fever uh, include headache, fever, surprise, surprise, muscle cramps, nausea, black vomit, and in the worst cases, delirium, coma, and death. So the black vomit's not uh, in the worst case, although it's it's leading down that tunnel. It's not called black um, vomit fever. I feel like that's a that's more. Catchy. I feel like that'd be more that'd be more epic. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, this is coming back to me. This is one of those damn uh, mosquito-borne uh, illnesses. Yeah. All right. Oh yes, and so the name yellow fever is associated with patients that are diagnosed with the more toxic or severe form of the disease in whom experience liver damage. Hence, they usually begin to have a yellowing tint to their skin. And I know you used to perform a a screening on all your patients that had a yellow tinge with a a quick gut punch to the the right upper quadrant, right? (laughs) Yes. uh, Is that how you screen for cirrhosis? Exactly. Yeah. I remember as a med student, the, uh, one of the, the high-risk OBs that we rotated by always would say, never, never perform an abdominal exam on someone that, you're, that might be preeclamptic in case their liver function enzymes are elevated. You don't want to risk a, a liver rupture. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've heard of a splenic rupture. I've never heard of a, uh, an abdominal exam leading to a liver rupture, but what do I know? What do I do? So they um, they have liver failure and then they get jaundiced 
Um, yes. If, if you get the more, uh, there's a couple of different presentations of this. Really just two. You either get the mild form or the more severe form. And if you get the severe form, that eventually uh, evolves into uh, liver failure, jaundice. And then once you see that, those are pretty ominous signs when it comes to yellow fever. And they usually coincide with kidney, renal failure, multi-organ failure, increased bleeding risk. Um, and then those patients have bleeding that occurs from the nose, the mouth, the eyes, as well as the gastrointestinal tract, resulting in the previously if I mentioned black or coffee ground vomit. And so with all the bleeding, um, if you're wondering, yellow fever does belong to the class or group of viruses categorized as hemorrhagic fevers. So after transmission from a mosquito, the viruses replicate in the lymph nodes and then infect dendritic cells in particular. Now dendritic cells uh, for our non-medical listeners are essentially messenger cells that function within the immune system to present antigens or foreign agents to T cells or the workhorse of the immune system. So they're attacking the messenger. So basically uh, anyone who ever said, don't kill the messenger, like I just did, yellow fever says, fuck you, I'm going to. (laughs) From there, the virus reaches the liver and proceeds to infect hepatocytes or liver cells ultimately causing the degradation of these cells and the release of cytokines, which are uh, pro-inflammatory signal proteins, uh, and fatalities uh, may occur once a cytokine storm results. So basically think way too much signaling, um, and that leads to shock and multi-organ failure, as noted before. Okay, so this is like a direct hepatotoxic virus. I see. Yes, Okay. Yeah, that sounds uh sounds not good. I don't mm. want I don't want this illness or disease either. No. <laughs> Put that in the the bucket of I don't want them. <laughs> this doesn't sound nearly as fun as rabies. I'm going to put that in the big book of boo-boos. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So in modern times, approximately 125,000 severe infections occur annually uh, with close to about 45,000 deaths. Um, Now, these mainly occur in African nations. So surprisingly, yellow fever infections are actually on the rise right now. And this is associated with decreased global immunity, as well as increased population density in cities and increased travel and also the climate changes that have impacted traditional mosquito habitats are also playing a role. So one fun fact, yellow fever was actually the first human virus to become isolated in 1927. Really? It was. Um, And today there is a safe and effective vaccine for yellow fever. And in many countries in which the virus is endemic, uh, they require travelers, tourists to get vaccinated prior to travel. That's why I think you've probably had this um, based on your travel history. Unfortunately, once you get infected, uh, treatment is supportive only. So that means that, you know, there are no specific interventions uh, and the mortality is approximately 50% in those who get the severe form of the disease with the, or the toxic form that we discussed earlier. And that's approximately 15% of all those that get infected in general. So quick side note, a Cuban-born physician and scientist by the name of Carlos Finlay um, developed the mosquito hypothesis. And that's essentially the thought process that yellow fever, um, the vector for the virus was the mosquito. 
Um, now, he wasn't able to prove this, and this would come years later, thanks to the United States Armed Forces and a Johns Hopkins graduate by the name of Walter Reed, um, who would conduct several uh, fairly dangerous field research studies um, that were conducted using human volunteers, including some of the team's physicians and medical personnel, to prove that mosquitoes were, in fact, the source of the virus or the spread of the virus. And that in itself is a pretty fascinating story. And so instead of going into a lot of detail today, we'll save that for another episode. But hmm. Yeah, the uh, I mean, a lot of the diseases that we think about are caused by uh, mosquitoes, right? Malaria, yellow fever. What else is uh, Zika? That's another Zika. mosquito-borne illness. West Nile virus. Yeah. West Nile is it the... Equine something. <laughs> Isn't there like a, I don't know. I think there's like an equine virus as well. Didn't they release like a bunch of mosquitoes in Key West or something recently to try Once and. they like mutated though? Yeah. They kill other mosquitoes? I, that sounded like a bad idea to me. I don't know. I didn't read too much about it, but that sounds like the beginning of a horror movie to me. Eastern equine encephalitis. That's what I was going for. That's another type of infection? Yes. All right. It's a bad one. (laughs) You don't want that one either. Um, Well, yeah, we'll have to cover all of these uh, mosquito-borne illnesses. There there are a plethora of guapo, but yes, we will hit them all. Anyway, now that we've uh, gained an intimate understanding of yellow fever, let's jump into the epic story of how yellow fever and a brilliant freed slave defeated Napoleon in the West Indies, ultimately leading to the Louisiana Purchase. Um, For those of you who have forgotten, or I guess I was going to say for those of you who have forgotten your U.S. history, or for those of you who are not citizens of America and could give two shits less about U.S. history, the Louisiana Purchase led to the largest accumulation of land in United States history. It literally doubled the size of the country with a single pin stroke. So fairly, fairly significant little, little event. (laughs) <laughs> little purchase that occurred, but uh, as the so the foreshadowed events take place on the second largest island of the West Indies, and that's known as Hispaniola. And Hispaniola today is divided politically into the Republic of Haiti, which is the western one third of the island, and the Dominican Republic, the eastern two thirds. But in 1802, the island was named Santo Domingo, and the French controlled the western third, while the Spanish influenced the eastern portion at least until about 1795 when Spain ceded their part to France. Now, this was a coup for Napoleon, for the vertically challenged French commander had always envisioned that the small island would become France's stronghold in the New World. And in fact, historians noted that he believed the island to be an excellent staging area that would allow for the easy dissemination of French troops into the southern United States. However, there would be two unexpected variables that would significantly complicate Napoleon's military strategy. One, as our foreshadowing may have suggested, is yellow fever. The other is a freed slave by the name of Toussaint Louverture. And it's Louverture's epic story that will ultimately align the dominoes that led to Napoleon's defeat and eventually to the signing of the Louisiana Purchase. Ooh, you've set up quite the, uh, the tale here for us. I know. I hope you got your popcorn ready, baby. I'm really um, excited about this story and also your pronunciation of this Frenchman's uh, name. I'm rolling with confidence. (laughs) The only way to go. So uh, Toussaint uh, Louverture is thought to have been well-educated, taught by his godfather, Pierre Baptiste, 
as well as Jesuit miniseries or missionaries. <laughs> miniseries. Confidence game there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> down the toilet we go. But uh, Jesuit missionaries. Uh, he is even said to have gained substantial medical knowledge based in African herbal medical techniques, as well as those techniques practiced commonly in Jesuit hop- hospitals. And that probably was the use of a lot of mercury, some sage, some bloodletting. <laughs> Sounds like some some uh, modern day hippie shit right there. <laughs> they do some smudging. Yeah, like Kyrie Irving. Uh-huh. Louverture uh, began his military career as a leader during the 1791 slave rebellion in the French colony of Saint Domingue, and the rebellion initiated the rebellion was initiated by free people of color and was believed to have been inspired by the French Revolution as they sought an expansion of their own rights and the desire for equality. Now, unfortunately, they also supported perpetuating the denial of freedom and rights of the slaves um, who actually made up the overwhelming majority of the population of the island. But during the rebellion, Louverture allied himself with the Spaniards of the neighboring Santo Domingo and gained a significant following. He was respected as a negotiator and a military strategist among his men. Following the rebellion, Louverture remained in diplomatic contact with the French general Etienne Menold. Uh, this would prove advantageous, for during this time, his competition with other rebel leaders was growing, and the Spanish had started to look with disfavor on his near-autonomous control of a large and strategically important region. Louverture's auxiliary force had been deployed with great success, and his troops had been responsible for half of all Spanish gains in the region that he controlled. When the new Republican government of the French made a decision to abolish slavery on the French-controlled portions of the island, Louverture recognized an opportunity to switch alliances before he was relieved of his command by new Spanish commanders, whom, despite his great success, despised black auxiliary soldiers. So this was a win-win decision for the black commander, as his primary goal had been to abolish slavery or at least significantly improve the existing conditions. The French abolition of slavery was a strictly military and political move that the colonial power hoped would swing the support of the well-trained black troops to the side of the French. The decision paid off as Louverture, upon joining the French, immediately eradicated all Spanish supporters from the areas he had once held on Spain's behalf. Ultimately, he would defeat his two biggest rival black leaders still aligned with the Spanish, Jean-Francois and BSU, both of whom retreated to Spain-controlled Florida or actually to Spain itself. Now, the majority of his rivals, men, then joined Louverture and his campaign against the Spanish. And ultimately, as we said previously, Spain would concede their portion of the island to France in 1975. Yay! I think. I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah, they were all colonialists. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see how this turns out. Yes. So during the years that followed, he maintained an active role in the island's leadership while under French colonial control. Louverture was concerned with reestablishing agricultural and or reestablishing agriculture and the export of local goods while also keeping the peace in areas under his control. In his speeches and in policy, he revealed his belief that the long-term freedom of the people of Saint Domingue depended 
bid on the economic viability of the colony, and as a result, he was held with general respect. His vocal support for the people of the island in combination with his military and as well as his deft ability to understand the motivations of the colonial powers in the region allowed him to earn popularity amongst the freed and escaped slaves. As his power and popularity grew, Louverture would gradually establish himself as France's primary liaison and peripheral commander of the island. So despite Louverture's rise to power, he maintained a strong relationship with the French, as long as the French didn't attempt to restore slavery. He made the decision not to seek to sever the mutually beneficial to ties. Now to the French, he appeared to be a pawn that wielded control over the island's population, and hence he was a useful resource, one that they believed they could manipulate as strategy, uh, strategy dictated. But as things often do, that would all change in 1801 when Napoleon informed the inhabitants of Saint-Domingue that France would draw up a new constitution for its colonies in which they would become subject to special laws. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. The island's former slaves immediately feared this new constitution would include the restoration of slavery, and we now know that it would have. Hence, Louverture, in a preemptive move, established an autonomous constitution for the colony with himself as governor general for life. Uh, this obviously... <laughs> oh, man. All of these people. <laughs> Just, you can call me governor general for life. That's a great Is that title. like a four-year term? <laughs> <laughs> no. The, it, it's in the name. I'm, I'm both governor and general and both of those for life forever. Thank you. Okay, bye. Um, so, obviously, this declaration... Did did not sit well with Napoleon, um, for as discussed previously, the French commander had big plans for the island and the expansion of the French Empire. Now, it is important to know that Louverture identified as a Frenchman, and he strove to convince France of his loyalty, you know, despite his proclamation. He wrote to Napoleon, but he did not receive a reply from his pen pal. That's kind of sad. He just got ghosted. Um, so Napoleon eventually decided to send an expedition of about twenty to 30,000 men to Saint-Domingue to restore French authority and slavery as well. Now, given the fact that France had signed a temporary truce with Great Britain in the Treaty of Amiens, Napoleon was able to plan his operation without the risk of his ships being intercepted by the Royal Navy. So historians have disagreed on why Napoleon initially dispatched nearly 30,000 soldiers and sailors to the island in the West Indies, a number that would have far exceeded what should have strategically been necessary to defeat Louverture. Evidence suggests that the troops were actually an expeditionary force with intentions to invade North America and the United States through New Orleans and the established uh, and to establish a major holding in the Mississippi Valley. He was going to let them uh, sharpen their fangs, so to say, in the West Indies, and then roll over to the Americas, Sneaky the master. United States. Um, so Napoleon's troops, under the command of his brother-in-law, General Victor Emmanuel Leclerc, were directed to seize control of the island by diplomatic means, proclaiming peaceful intentions, and keep secret his orders to deport all black officers and restore slavery. Napoleon anticipated an easy victory, and Leclerc himself believed they would have the rebellion ended within a few months. <laughs> 
What does this Leclerc guy show up with 30,000 troops and be like, no, 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 we're just, we're here to hang out. <laughs> this is purely a diplomatic showing of goodwill. We want these men to help you build uh, your roads yeah. and infrastructure. Uh-huh. They'll be your soldiers. Uh-huh. You're in charge. You're the general for life. Um Meanwhile, Louverture was preparing for the defense of the island, and Louverture's plan in case of war was to burn the coastal cities and as much of the plains as possible, then retreat with his troops into the inaccessible mountains and wait for yellow fever, which flourished on a seasonal basis, to decimate the French troops. Now you see, children under the age of 18 usually, uh, who were infected usually experienced a more mild form of the disease. And once they were infected, they were immune for life. Hence, the French planters' children on the island were mostly safe, as were the natives on the island and most of the freed slaves who had acquired immunity in Africa or as children on the island's plantations. The Europeans, on the other hand, were completely non-immune. And if you think about smallpox, when we discuss that, this is usually a very bad thing. That that is uh, pretty diabolical. Very sneaky. He's very smart. Yeah. He knows he is going to be grossly outnumbered, but he is uh, utilizing the resources at hand <laughs> and the overconfidence of the clerk and Napoleon. What about, um, God, what's that line? And the birds in the skies will be my something or other. I feel like Sean Connery says it in Indiana Jones, but he's quoting somebody else. Anyway, sounds fancy. And now I need to know. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll look it up. But yeah, Google. sounds like that's what that guy's doing. By the end of the 18th century, yellow fever was a significant disease and was widespread throughout the Caribbean and particularly lethal in St. Domingo in regards to the Europeans that had colonized the area. And from 1793 to 1798, case fatality rates reported among British troops that had moved in and out of the West Indies were as high as 70% to kind of give you an an idea of how fatal this was at the time. So a similar mortality rate was realized by the French when they arrived in 1802. From 1802 to 1803, one calendar year, yellow fever at Saint-Domingue ravaged almost 50,000 French soldiers due to their utter lack of immunity to the disease. Plus, as often occurs during this time span, really any time prior to about the 1930s, uh, medical ignorance of the physicians, as well as their complete inability to successfully treat the fever, led to such staggering numbers. The ports of St. Domingue, particularly the main one at Port-au-Prince, were surrounded by quagmires and swamps, which are prime breeding grounds for mosquitoes during the hot and humid months of spring and summer. The 80s Egypti are just like <laughs> rabbits out there. They're just, they're just having a Laying in wait. Do you say that the mortality rate was, or the fatality rate was 70%? Yes. Yes. That uh, really cuts down that twenty to 30,000 uh, pretty, pretty abruptly. Say it, do a, do a number on the morale of the troops as well. Uh-huh. Sweating their asses off in a swamp somewhere. Turning yellow. And their friends are bleeding blood. out of their noses and black vomit. Yeah, no thank you. So, yeah, go back to France. Enjoy my crepes. <laughs> after being bitten. So, anyway, after being bitten by a mosquito-carrying yellow fever, the victim as we alluded to earlier, would either get a mild or a severe form of the disease approximately one week later. Now, with the lack of immunity, a lot of these patients were um, falling ill with a more severe form. 
And at one point in early summer in 1802, the men were dying at a rate of as many as 50 a day. Leclerc himself would eventually fall victim to the disease, dying late in 1802. And even though we haven't mentioned her, his wife Pauline, I'm sure a gentle soul, returned to Europe where she would later marry an Italian nobleman by the name of Camillo Borghisi. Um, just an FYI, if you're curious. I was wondering what his wife's name was and also what happened to her. So thank you for summing that up in one sentence. <laughs> I thought it slide better. And she lived happily ever after. With Borghisi. Master. They were little Borghisi boys and girls. <laughs> Masterful storytelling. <laughs> so, some 20,000 additional French reinforcements were sent to supplement the surviving troops in late 1802. And upon his passing, Leclerc was replaced by General Rochambeau. Great name, by the way, for a general. <laughs> that is great. He's and I did look up to see if that was... Yeah, every battle by playing rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I looked it up to see if that was the origin of rock, paper, scissors or Rochambeau, and it appears that there is a, uh, there is a group that believe it is, but most likely it is not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, on this podcast, we're going to endorse that it is, in fact, how Rock, Paper, Scissors, Paper, scissors was created. Yes. Uh, by November of 1803, Rochambeau retreated to France <laughs> with only 3,000 survivors. He threw paper too many times. <laughs> anyway, almost twice as many French troops were felled by yellow fever on the island of Haiti than were actually slain in the Battle of Waterloo years later. So Napoleon reacted decisively to the slave insurrection. I guess it really wasn't even a slave insurrection at this point, really just a fight for independence. Anyway, uh, he reacted, Napoleon reacted decisively uh, and secondary to the epidemic sickness of the French troops, he concluded he had met his match in a disease that he could not conquer. And so he abandoned all ideas about expanding the empire into the Louisiana Territory of the United States. And it was this embarrassing defeat that resulted in France's decision to negotiate the sale of the Louisiana Purchase to the Americans for approximately $15 million. So pretty terrible negotiating. <laughs> like we're going to send over a bunch of mosquitoes to your house, Napoleon, unless you agree to this treaty. I don't know. Maybe that's how I should acquire real estate. Going <laughs> I want to buy your house. Oh, oh you're not selling. We'll see about that. That's crazy. So this uh, this freed slave, brilliant military genius freedom fighter, with the help of yellow fever, gave the Haitians their independence as well as helped us get uh, Louisiana. Purchase. Well, more than Louisiana. I mean, the Louisiana Purchase, it was titled that, but you've got to remember that it included most of the land along the, the Mississippi River. I mean, it basically doubled the size of the U.S. I'm just going to focus on Louisiana and more specifically <laughs> Louisiana hot sauce, which is my favorite type of uh, hot sauce. It's my go-to. One drop does it, Louisiana hot sauce. Is there like a specific type? I feel like whenever I've gone to New Orleans, there's like 10,000 different. There is one that is called Louisiana hot sauce trademark. Let me, uh, have you ever been to uh, where they make uh, Tabasco? No. Fantastic. It make me cry. Avery Island in Louisiana. All these great things that we now have. Yeah. Louisiana brand hot sauce, but it's also a style. It's confusing. 
Thanks, Napoleon. I feel like it was probably the Haitians that invented the hot sauce. Well, well I mean, that's a whole other episode. Oh, who invented hot sauce? Look that up. <laughs> and the quote that I was trying to think of earlier is probably not actually a Charlemagne quote, but it's attributed in Indiana Jones. And it says, let my armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds in the sky and the uh, mosquitoes in the bogs. We will not die. <laughs> let them eat. All right. Keep going. Sorry. All right. Oh, oh so this is kind of a bittersweet ending. Um, so Haiti declared its independence in 1804, becoming the first independent nation in all of Latin America. Unfortunately, Louverture would not live to see the victory and independence as he would actually die in a French prison in 1803 after being tricked and arrested by the French when he presented to negotiate terms of a truce. Well, damn it. Dr. Guy, how are you going to end on that note? I mean, I can't change history. You should have ended <laughs> with uh, Pauline. <laughs> yeah. Pauline had a good ending there. What, she went to go marry the Italian nobleman, and our boy Louverto ends up in a French prison dying. I know. I know. I mean, he's he is, for what it's worth, the only ultimately his his power and his fame and his military genius all grew out of a slave rebellion that he was successfully led early on before Haiti won its independence. And the only other successful, like truly successful slave rebellion was probably that of Spartacus. All right. Well, fair enough. You've buoyed my spirits. Yeah. I mean, he's still a pretty monumental place in history. Yeah. Well, that was super interesting. I'd completely forgotten about yellow fever and its spread via mosquitoes. And I had no idea that it played such a large role in uh, the Haitian freedom movement and the Louisiana Purchase and Napoleon's downfall. Thank you. Who would have thought a couple skeeter bites would get us to Louisiana? <laughs> they just needed some more deet. Some of those, <laughs> some of those uh, candles that come in the metal buckets that uh, scare the skeeters away. That'll kill the bumblebees, buddy. <laughs> uh, well, that's great. Well, thank you, Dr. Guy. Well, no problem. That is my pleasure. Um, for all of our loyal Disease, Death, and Doctors listeners, this is going to be the last episode of season one. Uh, we're stopping at 20. We're going to take about a one-month hiatus to grow our repertoire of episodes um, and then we're going to hit the ground rolling again in early February. So enjoy uh, early January. I'm sure there'll be a, a pretty large COVID uptick. So watch out for that. And uh, hugs and kisses. Yeah. Stay safe out there, everybody. Thanks for listening to season one. Smash that subscribe button. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, uh, Snapchat, Slack, uh, TikTok, um and all of your other uh, uh platforms and um apple podcast thank you for listening okay bye. we're not on all of those platforms but nonetheless <laughs> get on tiktok <laughs> dr guy i don't trust it what if the chinese are watching me <laughs> all right well with that <laughs> goodbye everybody get in my bunker later